Hello. Hey, John. How are you? Hi, Dan. What's up? Uh, not much. I was just um, just out in the back yard painting some furniture. Oh, do you uh, do you paint it with a brush? Or are you spray painting it? Or uh, I am painting it with a brush. Yeah. Boy, if if uh, if anyone's listening to this show and you are painting furniture by spray painting it, let me just recommend that you that you not do that. What's uh What's the better way to do it? Just hand just uh, with a brush. Yeah, you want to paint that with a brush, I think. Yeah. Like a door, like the way you'd paint a door. I think you would paint it like you paint a door. Yeah, I think spray paint is typically what you paint a subway car with. Sure. If you are, if it's late late at night and you are a and you are a street artist. Uh huh. Um, I, what else is spray paint good for? It's good for uh, cars. Like, uh huh. Uh huh. If you have if you have uh, fixed some of the rust on your car with wood putty, mm-hmm. I think you should follow up with a spray paint coat. Anything metal. Oh, yeah, I guess you but want to But don't you see the brush marks on, metal? if you're painted with a brush, don't you see the brush marks? Yes. That's not okay. Know, That's not all right. I feel like brush marks are, brush marks are a sign of quality, Dan. I, I, don't, I don't think we need, we, we don't need everything to have the, the, the lacquer finish of a, or, or, or rather the like enamel finish of a refrigerator. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Things should, things, things can have a human touch. Well, if you're going that way, then I would say you should just have just bare wood. You should sand it down to the bare wood and stain it and just leave mm-hmm. the natural wood. I think painting is unacceptable. A lot of people like paint. You know, my mom, uh, when she and I fixed up her house, uh, we spent months scraping all the yeah. woodwork and uh because she's a perfectionist she had um, a lumber mill specially mill wood to replace where the trim was lost mm. and she had them mill it in clear grain fur and then once it was all finished she said i want it all painted white mm. and i said no that's a crime against humanity mm-hmm. Future generations will will put it will mark us down in the book as having done this crime. And she was like, "It's my house; I get to decide." And so her house, her old house, which we've recently sold, it has under that white paint beautiful, beautiful, beautiful wood, lost forever. But she knows it's there, and I I hope she told the people that bought it that I hope they know it's there. I certainly know it's there. No, what I'm doing today is, uh, you know, when I go to like a salvage yard and I see a little set of shelves that used to be a part of a built-in bookcase Mm -hmm. or bathroom or something, you know, those salvage yards are full of that stuff. Right. There's just a certain dimension of little shelf that I I just can't get away from. It's just a little, it's just a little shelf, just a little, little, it's tall, it's tall and narrow not really useful. It's meant to, I don't know, hold sewing supplies or something. I just love them. And if you, if they've been ripped out of an old house and I can get it for $15, I'll buy it. So I've got this like bunch of little shelves and I decided I'm, I'm going to, um, I'm going to treat them as built-ins. I'm going to build them in to, uh, my downstairs bathroom and make them look like they've been there forever. Mm-hmm. And my house has enough of that stuff kind of architectural detail that 
it will look like they've been there forever. But one of them, I have to actually kind of build it. The shelf is shabby, and so I have to kind of rebuild it. Right. And then, I, then I'm going to take it in and build it into the wall. Sure. It's all very exciting. Um, these are little projects, little projects that I've been thinking about for years, and I just decided I was going to do. So that's what I've been working on. I'm excited for you. It sounds like you're doing some uh, much-needed improvements, home improvements. And my fingers, my fingers are covered with paint now. Are you doing it uh, in, in white? It's in white, yeah. yeah I was going to say it should, should be white. Yeah, it's white. And it's going in the bathroom, so you want it to be, you know, you want it to be kind of, I put, put some primer on it, then you put a coat on, then mm-hmm. you, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in then, I'm going to nail them up, get them in there, put the, put the trim on around them, and then I'm going to paint them and paint them the last time once they're in place, just so you get a sense of how they're going to look in the room. You yeah, know with, how the, with the trim around it, it'll look like it's always been there, just like you yep. want. Right. Right. That's the plan. And then yeah. I'm going to, then I'm going to put little tchotchkes on it. But you know what, Dan, I'm thinking hard about selling my house. Really? Cause the last time we talked, uh, if I remember right, you mentioned something about, uh, you know, like you, you felt like maybe you were in a limbo of some kind. You're thinking of doing the tiny home thing living in a little, a little tiny home or, uh, getting a airstream or something. Hmm. Are you sure that was me? Yeah. I feel you like said that, something like that. That might've been one of your other pals. I, I found if I say something that's not totally accurate, sometimes that'll lead you down a new path. <laughs> Good. I, I'm not interested in, in living in a, um, in an airstream. Okay. And I don't even think, I mean, what I'm, what I want what I like about a tiny home, I like the idea of a tiny home on my much larger property, right? Like if, if I had a, if I had an acre and I had tiny homes all over it, homes, yeah. plural, yeah. I'd be really into that. What I think you said was that you were going to sell your house and get a mid-century modern yes. home. We were talking about that. Yeah. And I have been thinking about that. I've been thinking about that a lot. There's a lot, a lot of time has passed since you and I talked last. A lot has gone on. Yeah, they'll tell me. Get me up to speed. Well, you know, the last time we talked, I, we, we, I kind of, you and I went on, on a little bit of a rumination about who listened to the show mm-hmm. and who listens to shows and what, who, who are, who is everybody and and what are we doing here, and uh, and I. I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but some kind of like, hey, tweet me if you're listening type of type of thing. Sure. It was a, I, I was a, I was I was emphatic enough about it that people actually did it. You know, usually if you're like, oh, yeah, I wish just people would tweet me. Ninety nine percent of the people listening are like, sure. Or whatever. Right. But this was a time I think I said something a little bit more like. Uh, I don't know. I you're not supposed to in a position like you and I are in to say like, tweet me. Uh, and I think even when I did it, you were like, Whoa, are you sure about this? (laughs) But, um, but I did say that and I know that because I got several hundred tweets from people. Okay. And also communications in other 
places like on Instagram and via email. People were like, I, I'm not on Twitter. There were lots of people that said, I haven't tweeted in six years, but I, I remembered my password after five tries and here I am. Was that more it, or less than you were hoping or expecting? Well, you know, it, very shortly it became about something more than quantity. Uh, there was a, there was a period, you know, at first I was, I thanked each person that, that, uh, wrote me personally. And then there was a, there was a little bit in there. I'm kind of embarrassed about like between the 40th and 70th replies. I kind of just was like replying to them with the, with their number. Mm-hmm. Cause I was trying to keep it straight. Cause I wanted, everybody was asking like, are we at a hundred yet? Right. And so I was like, uh, 57, right. I saw you replying with, with numbers. Yeah. 59. And I felt looking back, I felt bad about it because it was like, Oh, each one of those was an individual human being that was sending me a nice message. And I hope that they didn't (laughs) get this like 68 and just feel, uh, well, first of all, I hope they understood what I was doing and they weren't just like, is this a, is this some kind of Manchurian code 68? Am I supposed to know what this is? (laughs) Uh, but I felt bad because, you know, I wanted to like reply to everybody. And in fact, what it made me think was that I should have asked everybody to email me because in that case I would have had like, I would have had to reply to all these emails. I would Mm -hmm. have had like a a stack of letters I had to reply to. Uh, but, but pretty quickly and, and definitely like after we crossed over a hundred and, and, and went into, because a hundred was what was the goal I set? Like what if I've. I can't believe I can't even get a hundred tweets or something after we were over a hundred, then, you know, it entered this sort of, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's still happening, right? People, what's hilarious to me is the people that like tweeted me the next day, the day after the episode came mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. and said, I'm a little bit late. Sorry if I'm late to the game here, I didn't get a chance. It's like, wow, you, you're not late. <laughs> you listened to the podcast within a day of its release, that seems pretty like on the spot. Yes. But, but I, I, I got, I'm getting, I'm getting tweets all the time from people. And it was, I mean, it was really profound. I think for me to see, um, to see the audience reveal itself mm-hmm. in that way. And one of the ways that it was profound was that uh, almost universally, there was a kind of like reluctance to be revealed. Right. Because of the heavy, heavy weight of the embarrassment of admitting that you listened to the show or. Well, or just that, that it seemed like a, like natural reticence on, on a lot uh, on our listeners part, like each one in each person individually kind of communicated in their way. Like, well, here I am. You asked me to write, so I don't usually use Twitter and I don't like to say hi to people <laughs> yeah. and I don't don't really like anyone, but hi, I guess. I'm sorry, it was, hi. It was great and and one of the I mean and the my first thought was if I if the situation was reversed and I were being asked to do this, how would I reply? And it was exactly like all of our listeners. Like that's exactly what I would do. Mm-hmm. Like, hi, I listened to your show and I feel obligated to reply because I do, I admit I do. But you said what you said it was about two, 200 people you said. Oh no, no, no. It kept going long, long past 200. Where, where do you think it stopped? Who knows? I mean, it hasn't stopped. People are still writing. Do you think it's hit 500? Mm, 
No, I feel like that would that would be more of like a that would feel more like a, a wave. So what about I mean, the other like 20,000 people who listen to the show? Well, that's the or thing. 30 I mean, if, or whatever it is. If the if the several hundred people who replied all felt like all right, well, I mean there are obviously there are a few that were like I listen. Hello. Right. Hello, it's me. <laughs> But, you know, there were an awful lot of people that were like, I tried to I tried to not do this, but here I am. And then that means there are 20,000 other people who who feel like, well, that doesn't apply to me. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. He's asking other people to do a thing that can't get that can't that can't be directed to me. Or if it is like. No, no, je refuse. Yeah. Yeah. But even that, I mean, there even the people that were enthusiastic about, about, uh, about saying something, um, and the people that, that said, um, I don't like to bother podcasters. I mean, that's not a thing I would say. Like, I don't, I, I've never written you because I don't want to bother you because I don't have an issue about bothering people. And I, and I, and no one should have an issue about bothering me. Like I don't feel bothered. Mm -hmm. That's that, that's that thing we've talked about before. Like the, this thing in, in this, particularly in this world that we live in where uh, podcasters, internet people, you know, they, they profess to be bothered. Like, wow, bothered. It's just such a, I guess I was talking to my mom about this the other day. Did I, did I mention, I guess we haven't talked in a while. My mom brought a, f a, a folder out to the house and she said, in 1994, you wrote me uh, every week. And I said, I did. That's how you like, yeah. uh, tweeting about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wrote her a letter every week because I was working as a, as a clerk at uh, Piper Jaffrey, which is an investment mm -hmm. uh, bank or ba not a bank. It's in a, it's a, like a stock brokerage. I was working there as a clerk and it was a, it was a job. I worked in the cage, you know, I, I handled money in, money out. It was like a, I wore a tie and I, I was, I was drinking and, and doing drugs at the time. And, and I was always fighting with this, with these two sides of my personality. On the one hand, I, I felt like I needed, I was so desperate to not be a loser. Like being a loser was this thing that had, uh, that pervaded my high school years. Hmm. If you didn't do X, then you were a loser and you didn't want to be a loser. And there were so many ways you could be a loser. That was a big and term back then, wasn't it? It really was loser, loser, loser. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't going to be a loser, but I didn't know, you know, but the, it seemed like there was such a narrow path to being a winner. And all my, <laughs> all my high school friends were, they all chose professional careers and they chose them when they were 14. Like freshman, sophomore year, I knew what every one of my friends was going to do for the rest of their lives. You know, they were doctors and lawyers and that was what they were going to do. And I didn't want to do that. And I didn't know what I wanted to do at all. And I didn't, I wasn't convinced I was, I was a good person. And, um, and so when I, when I got to Seattle and I met a bunch of people who hadn't gone to college and who uh, 
whose ambitions were much more humble or manageable. They weren't worried about what they were going to do for the rest of their lives. They were just like they had a job and they were trying to see some shows and live their life. Right. And that all felt very much like losers (laughs) to me. (laughs) But I loved, I loved my little gang of losers and I, and they liberated me in a way, you know, like these were the first people that ever gave me a shoulder rub. Right. No one had ever given me a massage before. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was sitting at, I remember the day I was sitting at a table in this like broken down flop house where eight girls lived and there were seven different uh, Siberian Huskies running around and, and, um, and like uh, six of the eight girls were lesbians, but it was, Really like this, this, these were ye olden times when it was kind of, everything was just in flux Mm -hmm. all the time. There (laughs) was, it was, there, there weren't, um, like, like communities, communities were really hardened off. But if you got into the, if you got into alternative world, there were no walls anywhere. And I remember sitting at a, at a table and somebody put their hands on my shoulders from behind and started squeezing. And I was like, what the fuck is happening <laughs> no like you like your your mom never rubbed your shoulders nothing no nothing. no 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 no. my mom barely touched me at all and my dad you know my dad would like punch me in the shoulder every once in a while and say good job kid but no no one ever i mean you know i wasn't really hugged very much i wasn't really touched very much as a kid um because I don't think my parents, either one of them were touched at all as a kid. And so, you know, the touching that happened to me were, you know, sort of like pats on the head or like breeze past each other in the hall, uh-huh. you know, like. Were, were they affectionate to one another uh, that you ever observed? No, no, nor. I mean, you know, I, I, my mom had a boyfriend at one point in the seventies and, and she and he would sit close to one another on the couch, like. Like, uh, I guess snuggled on the couch, visible to the world. And I was, I was, it was shocking. And also I was envious, you know, because like, uh, I, I always used to say that the, when I would sit on the couch, I would sit on one end of the couch reading and my mom would sit on the other end of the couch reading. And if our feet, she, she would let our feet touch, our feet would touch. And it was like just total joy for me like just ambrosia you know because like we would sit there and read and our feet would not just touch and then pull back but like she would leave her feet there and I would and our feet would continue to touch is what I'm saying so no there was no um, I had no physical intimacy growing up it just wasn't in our culture and so the first time I got a back rub and then, oh, and another time I was sitting and talking to a girl about something and she took my hand in hers and started massaging my hand while we were talking. And I mean, my eyes were rolling back in my head. I was so, <laughs> it felt so good and so good in a way that I didn't know was possible. I didn't even know you could massage a hand. Um, I didn't know a hand. I had never thought about the construction of a hand and she had the, 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 this group of friends taught me so much about life and it was all happening 
in the context of losers, right? Because nobody yeah. had gone, nobody had gone to college. Everybody worked in restaurants and and bars, and um, and my college friends were all, or my high school friends at that point were all in graduate school somewhere, and I was really unsure where I belonged. You know, I loved this new world I was living in, but I couldn't shake the feeling that nobody was going anywhere. I didn't want to live in a, I didn't work on, want to work in a restaurant the rest of my life. And I was shocked that when I would ask my Seattle friends like, well, I mean, but what do you really want to do in life? They were like, I don't know. Like manage a restaurant, open my own restaurant one mm -hmm. day. I was just like, wow, heavy man. I mean, because from the time I was, Four, I was thinking about what I wanted to do in life. People in, in my world asked that question of little kids. Well, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know, where do you, where do you want to go to co college? <laughs> I was like six years old and I've got a list of little colleges I want to go to. Um, so even during this period when I was just like, I was just so loaded all the time, just, just like, you know, I don't know what a medicine cabinet pirate, <laughs> and and like I feel, I feel a, like it was like um drugstore cowboy kind of a life. He, yeah, yeah. Like just mm. looking for Delauded if you can find it. Looking for it and being able to find it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also like you know I was learning about I was learning about how to be touched. I remember being at somebody's house and I was laying on some mattress on the floor, and somebody came in and like laid on the mattress and I was like, Oh, now we're both laying on this mattress. And then another person came in and like laid on the mattress and pretty, it's just one mattress. It's not like a, it's not like a floor of mattresses. Pretty soon there were just seven people like all kind of just piled on each other. Not in a, and I mean, I'm saying this, I'm describing the first time this happened, right? The, each one of these events was like a revolution for me because, because I hadn't been, I hadn't been touched that way. Mm-hmm. So people just kind of casually draping themselves over me. My instinct was like, <laughs> get off me. <laughs> what are you doing? Right. Why are you on me? But in their world, that was so natural that to like lay down on a mattress and just lay your head on me. But we're not, this isn't like, we're not, this isn't a prelude to sex we're not about to have an orgy we're just laying on each other because we're friends and then this is how we're this is comfortable this is like we are animals but we're a different kind of animal than i thought i was i thought i was a male lion who no one ever comes around and it turns out i'm a lemur or something <laughs> like, that i didn't <laughs> i didn't think i was and you know, and that and the, those things like transform me. Over the course of four or five years, I came out the other side of it feeling like, oh, I am. There's a reason that I was divorced from the from the world that my high school friends were pursuing. There was mm -hmm. a, there's a reason that I was not on that path, and I don't know if I would have ever felt the way I do now if I hadn't moved to the city and lived uh, with with people that were just had a very different mentality. And the thing is, I had a very different mentality from them. 
then and now, right? I mean, I, I, I have never found a group of people where I felt like, ah, these are people just like me. Mm-hmm. It's always like these people have something to teach me. Like this is amazing. This is like uh, uh, this is where I belong. I guess is how I felt. But I went downtown at this point because I felt like I couldn't just be laying on a mattress getting hand massages and doing dope and work at a bar or a cafe because I was that I would just be I, I like there's something inside me some pride or some drive that wouldn't have been able to uh, to cope somehow I would have I would have felt too lost and so I went downtown put on a tie and got a job at a stock brokerage almost as like a counter for what else was going on in your life at the same time yeah like I was that was like the most corporate straight up job that you could get like the most yes. opposite of what you were actually doing right and I have no interest in stock brokerage right, <laughs> right. that seems like an unlikely a uh, place for you to, to call home. It's not anything that I was interested in. You know, I mean, uh, and every once in a while I meet somebody who's my age, who's one of those people that from the time they were 15, they knew what they wanted to do, but it wasn't be a doctor. Mm-hmm. It was be a film composer or be a actor or, you know, something in the arts. And, but they knew it at a young age and they pursued it single mindedly and like, and it was what they loved. So and this was a thing I had no exposure to as a young person. Nobody that, nobody that I went to school with that I grew up with picked what they were going to do because uh, it was something they loved. You know, it was like, do you love being a doctor? Well, I'm good at biology. Yeah, I know, but I mean, there, do you love it? I mean, I'm great at it. Like, oh, all right. I mean, you know, like there was nobody said like, this is my passion about anything. I didn't know a single adult that felt that way either. That's not how you become middle class. But I meet, I meet people periodically that in, in the arts who are like, this is all I've ever wanted to do. You know, like from the age of 16, I knew I wanted to be a stand-up comic and now I'm 50 years old and it's all I've ever done. Right. It's like, wow, what a fun life or what an interesting life that must have been to just. Like find the thing that you like at, at an early age and just make a whole life of just doing that. Right. But it's, but it's like an art, you know, like it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's one of these jobs, like, like the one that I ended up with, which is kind of all encompassing. Like I can't retire. I couldn't retire from my job. What's my job? Like play the guitar and tell stories. How, how do you retire from that? I mean, you can't. And, but you can sure as shit retire from being a lawyer. But so, yeah, I went down and got this job at Piper Jaffrey because I needed something. I needed a, a, a counter because, because my, my friends like lying around being high and eating stone soup, like they weren't really pursuing <laughs> their passion either. You know what I, they, if they were artists and most of them weren't, um, you know, that stuff was just hot. Like they painted the walls of their house, painted like mu- murals of, of, um, you know, Gaia, the moon goddess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the murals were not super good. 
but it was part of that expression of like, we're all artists, but, but they were just living, you know, they weren't like, um, they weren't studying or if they were, they were studying alternative medicine or something, you know, not, not studying, um, uh, the craft of film scoring. So, uh, so I went down to Piper every day and I, and it was, it was good because I was downtown and I was in the world of suits and I had, I kept my hair short and I wore a tie. Now I wore, um, airborne paratrooper boots instead of, um, instead of wing trips, but I kept them shined. So it was my one, it was, if, if you looked at me, uh, walking through an office building, you would say, Hmm, something's not right. He's wearing paratrooper boots, but that was, you know, it was the grunge years. You had to make a concession right. to, to your rock and rollness. <laughs> yeah. I think I might've also had a soul patch. Uh, but, but it was a, it was also like a deeply boring job and a revelatory one for me because it was, I was finally exposed to the fact that you can be successful and upper middle class and have zero imagination or intelligence. Like the people at the stock brokerage did not overwhelm me with their wit or their, um, a perception or their in, in, ingenuity. Like they just, they got a job. They were somewhat motivated by money and worked hard enough that they maintain, you know, that they like built up some clients right. and a stock brokerage is a kind of place where a certain type of person, I mean, it's like a, it's a middle-class job for people who, started out already middle class. I imagine you could, you could be a poor kid that found their way into a place like that and worked your ass off, mm -hmm. but it's really just sales. It's just, it's just sales like anything chummy old boy type stuff. And it's all, it's a bullshit too. It's like rich people playing with rich people, but it was instructive, you know, like, I sat there behind the counter. People would come in. A, a broker would come up to the window with an old lady and say, oh, Mrs. McGillicuddy wants to withdraw $600,000. Would you cut her a check? And I would go, sure. And I'd go over to my manual typewriter and put a check in it and type out $600,000 to Miss McGillicuddy. You ever just add a zero once in a while? Just see what happened. I, I mean, I knew the business well enough to know like, oh, sure, I could write checks to myself all day, but it would, you know, a $6 million check to me would go exactly nowhere because they're, they're enough. The system understands itself well enough to know, like you have to, you have to prove where the money, I mean, I, cause I, I did the bank run, right? I would sometimes go to the bank. I didn't mean six, to yourself. I meant, I meant to, to a customer just add a zero. No. Why would I want Miss McGillicuddy to get 10 nice, times Nice more lady. Money? She wants to retire. None of them are nice ladies. No. I would go to the bank sometimes with six, $7 million in, in, um, in stuff in my little envelope, just out walking down the street, burp, derp, derp with my tie in the wind. I knew all the tellers at sea first, which is a defunct bank now, but 
in the afternoons when business slowed down, because it's a stock brokerage, right? So it starts real early because New York City. And then in the afternoon, the New York Stock Exchange shuts down in Seattle time. And from like three o'clock in the afternoon on, people just sort of wander out. Mm. But I had to be there till five. So apparently, I would sit and write letters to my mom on the back of the Piper Jaffrey petty cash forms. <laughs> and I started to refer to these letters, refer to them within them to my mom as uh, notes from petty cash. And then eventually <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and then eventually it was just petty cash. Like here's another petty cash for you. And it was, you know, it was what I was 23, I guess. And I was really working out all this stuff, working out who I was, who I was meant to be. I was trying to prove to my dad that I was, I mean, in a way, it proved to my dad that I wasn't a loser. Mm-hmm. My mom never hit me up with the loser trip. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't her way of thinking, but it was my dad's. But, you know, she was just, she wasn't worried I was going to be a loser. She was just worried right. that I was, that I was going to die. Or, right. Right. Um, and so, so she brought these out and I've been reading them and, you know, and I said to her before I read them, I was like, is this embarrassing? Am I going to be embarrassed by this? She was like, no, 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 no. It's really interesting. You're trying to figure out like, she said, you're asking all these questions like, like direct and implied. And she said, I read all the letters that I wrote to you back and I didn't answer any of your questions. And, and that was my experience of it in the time, right? I was constantly asking the grownups that I knew, my teachers, my parents, asking questions like about the world and about, you know, how to find a place in it. And the answers that came back were always sidesteps or just full on ignoring that a question had been asked. Right. Or a lot of times like um, a reply that was just pure pablum, you know, something like, well, everybody has to learn and try. So anyway, talk to you soon. You know, just like, no, because, because none of the adults in my world had ever considered a different way. Never had considered that they could make a living or live a full life without a job without a, um, I'm sorry, without a professional job, a professional degree and a mm-hmm. professional. Job. And, um, so, you know, re- reading these letters a- and also kind of receiving these replies from, a, a from a huge number of people who are listening to our show somewhat simultaneously it's been a, it's been a real, it's been a real curious kind of frame around the last few weeks for me. Um, you know, putting into 
bold relief, some things that, that you need reminded of over and over, I guess. Part of it is that it's nice to be reminded that you're not alone. It's nice to be reminded that, in, in particular, the listeners of Roadwork, I recognize them. You know, uh, in, even in their even in their small tweets, even in their reluctant tweets, I recognize them. And and hilariously, in all those tweets, there wasn't a single one that that was um, too snarky mm. or too sarcastic or right. like, or uh, because those things would be defensive, right? To write a tweet to somebody in that situation and be like, here's your tweet, Mr. Big Shot or whatever, you know, that's, that would, that would be real defensiveness on the part of someone. Right. Um, just like embarrassed or, or, um, that, that, that problem that young people have where they just throw shittiness into things because they're insecure. I guess old people do it too. But, um, there wasn't any of that. Nobody really copped that attitude. And I, and I imagine it's something to do with how intimate podcasting feels. Right. You feel like you're right there with the person they're talking to you. They're in your ears. It's almost yeah, like, especially it, if you listen in, in the dark, like when you're good, a lot of people uh, listen oh. in bed or they're, you know, on an airplane in the dark or something. It, it's like being in a womb almost. And it's like your mother's heartbeat. If you, if anyone is listening to this show right now in the dark, I'd like you to tweet me specifically about that. If I you guarantee you, that's a large percentage of people. If, are you're, in the dark if right you're in now. your bed right now and you're listening to this like it's your mother's womb, please write me again. Yeah, they have they have their headphones on. It's dark. They just you know, hear we, the sound of our voice and as they drift off to sleep. We think of the internet as such a confrontational place and such a place where. If you put yourself out there, there are all these vultures just waiting to leap and, and uh, you know, like scour your bones. And also, I can't help but think of podcasting as an internet thing. Yeah. Um, but at least this experience, it didn't feel like an internet, uh, an internet-based exchange with, with anyone who replied. So many people said, I don't use Twitter. And that was, that was incredibly cheering. Like, oh, good. Like all kinds of people out there who are consuming interesting material and who aren't on Twitter yelling about the Trump administration because they're doing other things or they have found that that's a negative place or they've found that it just doesn't vibe with them. They're not getting anything. They never got anything out of it. It's like, right, right on. Okay. All right, good. That's all, that's all good information. Um, and it made me feel like podcasting is less a thing about the internet than I thought it was before and more a separate, uh, separate culture. That's just sort of like it. The internet is just a delivery vehicle. Um, which was gratifying, right? We would like to say thank you very much to Brooklinen. This is amazing bedding. I have discovered this uh, really, really great high quality 
bed sheets, linens. This is what I'm talking about. You spend a third of your life in your sheets, if you think about it. And they make a huge difference in how you sleep. And you could start getting better sleep. How? By starting with better sheets. They are the most comfortable sheets. There isn't some big markup. And this is a way you can upgrade your whole nightly routine and feel better rested every day. Uh, the company was started, I guess, 24, yes, 2014 by husband and wife. And they had gone and, and traveled and they found these amazing sheets in, I guess, where they were staying. And they said, wow, these are great. And they priced them out. And they said, this is, these are a fortune. But why? Why should we have to pay a small fortune to get really comfortable, really nice sheets? And they discovered that most bedding is marked up by like 300%. And they said it doesn't have to be that way. Everybody should be able to get high quality bedding and sleep better without, you know, spending half their salary. <laughs> and that's the deal. Luxury bedding, it, it underpriced. And you've got to try them today. They're great. Uh, these Brooklinen sheets, they are the best, the most comfortable sheets I've slept on. And Brooklinen, it's at Brook, B R O O K. Linen, L-I-N-E-N dot com. They have a special offer just for listeners of this program. $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROADWORK at brooklinen.com. And they're so confident that you're going to love them that they have a 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. And the only way you're going to get the 20 bucks off and free shipping is using the promo code ROADWORK. So again, it's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com. And the promo code to use is ROADWORK, one word. And we appreciate the support of Brooklinen. Go check them out. I think you're going to have a much better sleep experience if you do. I know I have. Brooklinen.com, promo code ROADWORK. So the other day, I was, it was late, late, late at night. I was in my kitchen. And I looked over at the envelope with my diploma in it mm. presumably mm-hmm. presumably and it was like three in the morning and i said and sometimes i get into moods in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and i was like you're being ridiculous that is ridiculous this whole idea is ridiculous that you have this envelope you haven't even done the thing where you put it in a frame and put it on the wall because you're because because it's ridiculous. No, this envelope is just laying around like it's leaning up against a thing over here and then somebody comes and needs the thing that's behind it. So you pick it up and put it over here and now it's like on the – it's basically on the kitchen counter and it's been here for two weeks, this fucking envelope that is – what is it? It's just vibrating weird vibes. <laughs> you know, like there are a lot of – there are a lot of envelopes on the table, uh-huh. mail and folders and stuff. And then there's this thing that's like, and so in a fit of frustration with myself, I opened the envelope and I pulled the contents of the envelope out and it was facing down. It was a piece of paper, but it was facing down when I pulled it out. And I could see that there was something embossed pulled it out and it was facing down and I put it face down on the table and I threw the envelope away. And then there was this piece of paper sitting on the table, but I couldn't bring myself to turn it over. And 
two years ago, I bought at a thrift store a frame, a picture frame uh, that was that had it was like it still had the the sign in it from the picture frame store that said, "This frame ideal for diplomas." <laughs> And when that th- when that envelope arrived in the mail, I was at a thrift store and I was like, "Oh, I'll get a picture frame and put the diploma in it." Well, I hadn't ever opened the envelope, so the picture frame also was just kind of floating around the house. So I w- I went and found it, I brought it down, and I unwrapped the picture frame and and pulled the back out, and I took the piece of paper that was in the envelope. And I put it in the frame, still facing down. And I put the back on and I like sorted it all out like it was ready for whatever. But I left it facing down on the kitchen counter. And it's still there. Right now. I haven't turned it over. It's now in a frame. I've never seen it. It's just, and, and and this, I'm sure sounds bananas. It's like small. Well, no, it's fascinating to me. Why, what, what's your, what's the hesitation? Uh, well, I don't know. Like, what is the emotion that you feel? Describe the emotion that you feel when you think about turning it over. Are you afraid that you're going to be disappointed by what you see? Are you w- worried that it will indicate that you've you know are you afraid to think of that time again do you not want to are you afraid that somehow seeing it will reveal to yourself the you know the the failures of your life in some way i started thinking about going to college as i just described when i was about four right probably was aware of it before then. And partly it's because I was born in 1968 and that was still during a time when there was a major, major difference between someone who went to college and someone who didn't. Not very many people went to college. Most people didn't. And if you went to college and you, uh, then you were a college educated person who, and that is, that is the way people were described, right? Well, he's college educated. That phrase now sounds strange, archaic, but then it was used all the time. College educated. And my parents took pride in it that they were college educated sure and all of their you know their like social circle was and there you know there were clear distinctions as you went through the world uh, because people who weren't college educated noticed people who were and either admired them or resented them you know it was a much clearer uh, class distinction that was not based on money it was a class distinction that was based on education. And it was made clear to me from a young age that that was the expectation 
for me, but also it was, it was different than an expectation. It was like, this is true of us. We are college educated. Mm -hmm. It's the same as like, um, you know, as saying we are Presbyterian or something. Right. More so because it, well, I mean, there's, there's that tremendous aspect of merit to it, but also usefulness. Like you're not college educated just because it's a whimsical. You, it's hard and you do it because you want to have uh, skills and they're important skills. They're not like skills that, you know, they're, uh, they're big, big picture skills. So from the time I was four, this is how I imagined this was a, this was a, this was the major event as a child that I had to look forward to graduating from college, going to college and graduating and all that awareness of where you go to college and what you do and how, and you know, college, my dad was one of those like college was the best years of my life, college and the war. (laughs) Well, all right, lucky you. Um, but even my mom who worked her way through college and would, would drop out for a quarter so she could waitress full time in order to make enough money to pay her tuition for the, for the following spring. Um, you know, like graduating from college was a real accomplishment for her. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I fucked up in high school. It looked like, it looked to all the world like maybe I wouldn't even go to college, although I knew I would. It was just like nobody could figure out how you go to college with a 1.2 GPA. But then I went to college and then I dropped out. And then I went to a community college for a while and I dropped out. And then I got into the University of Washington and I dropped out. And I went back and I dropped out. And I dropped in and out of college for 20 years and always always I was in this sort of this dream that that started when I was four that like college was a it was not just a place but it was a a continent and in the intervening years college became not that anymore. College was broadly accessible. College, everybody goes to college. You can't be a police officer now if you haven't been to college. Mm -hmm. There are colleges everywhere. If I walked out the door with a crossbow and fired a, a bolt into the air, it would land on a college. And all the former Aggie colleges became universities and all of the community colleges became <laughs> universities. Trump has a university. Had. Um, and so people were going to college who weren't even interested in college. It was just the next thing that you did. It's, it's part, part of how, part of why I feel that computer science doesn't belong in colleges and why business doesn't belong in college. Like none of those things are what college 
what I was taught college was. Those were like things that, yeah, you just go, if you want to go in business, just go apprentice to somebody. Now you're a businessman. You don't need well, to. And that's the way it was for hundreds of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, colleges even um, were, I mean, even high school was pretty much optional. Yeah, and I had kids. friends. I mean, I still come from that time period when I had friends who would do that. Um, a lot of friends who did that thing where if you had a part-time job, you wouldn't have to go to the last two or three periods of the day. Uh huh. You know, or if you, um, if you, in in some cases, you could work full-time in your last year and and get credit for that. And I still had other people who just got their GED. That was, well, I, I mean, mean, that was very common back then. There are, there are, I think, a lot of people with it who didn't complete high school now, but there are also a lot of people who, when I was even graduating from high school, wouldn't, would not have graduated then, but now not only have graduated from high school, but graduated from college because it's all just, it's easier and it's, there's just not that much opportunity to fail mm-hmm. as there used to be. Oh yeah. It's like everybody just gets sort of pushed on through and college is expensive, but you can, if you don't want to go to an expensive college, there are plenty of cheap colleges and college still requires work, but there's not that risk. You know, that risk, uh, if you're halfway decent at a thing. So, So here's this thing arrives in the mail and I didn't, you you can't just go down and put on a hat and a cape and walk up and get your diploma. You have to, you have to know you're going to graduate first of all, and you have to put your name on a list and, and I guess get there at six o'clock in the morning and spend all day in the hot sun walking around. And I didn't do any of that. I didn't like have any, there was no ceremony. And so this thing arrives in the mail and it sat in an envelope for two years and now it's in a frame face, facing down on my kitchen counter. And, and I just feel like when I turn it over and look at it, it's some kind of culmination of 45 years of uh, of like pent up cultural, social, personal, familial effort and ambition and, and, uh, like mores values all wrapped up in this thing, which doesn't which is just like another it's just another thing but i don't want to throw a party about it i don't want to put ceremony on it because that feels dumb too it feels dumb to say like i hope i got a a degree in the mail and i never bothered to open it come to celebrate it with me (laughs) you know like most of my friends don't aren't up on my like trip you know when i was when I was dating my girlfriend of a couple of years ago who lived in California, she had several degrees, graduate degree, law degree, 
and they were all, um, you know, and other kind of like degrees, professional people give each other degrees all the time. It's like the Grammy awards. And I always imagined cause we were looking for a house together for a while. Well, and here's the other thing. That's a big, Dan- that's a big step, isn't it? Well, it was, it was, it was, a, it was insane to be doing, but we were doing it anyway. Uh, you have, you have a degree from college. Do you have a, your degree in a frame? No. Is it in a drawer somewhere? Do you, could you lay your hands on it mm, if you, if you want to? No. It's, you, did you throw it away? Uh, yeah, may, maybe my mom has it. If not, no. I threw it away. So, so. That meant nothing I, to me. Like, I don't know. I don't get the feeling. Same going for in, my high school diploma, by the way. I, I'm positive I threw that out. Also gone, your high school diploma. Very, very much gone. So you're not somebody who's driving around with the tassel from your high school graduation hat on your rearview mirror. No, and the farther away I am from my high school, the better. <laughs> but like I've been to a lot of people's houses, and I have never seen a single college degree hanging on the wall. So I don't think well, it's isn't it usually in the do. it's usually in the office. See, in the office. Yes. Right. So they they ha- not in their cube. But if you if you have a cube, then you you probably don't want to hang anything too permanent in there. But if you're, if you've gotten your own office and you've been in the office for a while, especially if you see clients or customers or people come in to sit on the other side of your desk, right. Then you want to have the, uh, the degrees up because right. then it, it's, I, I don't think at first when I was younger, I used to think it was like a bragging rights kind of thing. Like, Oh, these are my two degrees. But I thought on all my certifications and my salesman of the month award or whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I think I think for a lot of people, it might be that. But I think for a lot of other people, it's sh- like if I go to the dentist, you know, I kind of want to see like where they went to school. You know, if I'm mm. at the dermatologist, I want to know did they what what university they w- went to and where mm-hmm. they got their various degrees. Like that makes me feel a little like maybe <laughs> maybe I'm safer now. You if, don't want to see that your dermatologist went to the went to college in Grenada. I mean, if if there's a legitimate college there, then maybe that would be all right. But yeah, I want to know that they went to a real university, and like that's you know that's kind of nice to see. I suppose if I was going to some other you know I don't know a CPA or an attorney or something, you kind of want I want to see that there. But if mm-hmm. if I'm like going to visit somebody who like got a degree in waste management or English like me, I don't, I don't need to see their degree. That's not going to do anything. And I do equate waste management degrees with English degrees are similar. Right. So I don't know. I just don't feel like, um, like that's a big thing. The only certificate of any kind that I have up and have, or have ever had up, is my certificate of ordination uh, in the Church of the Latter Day Dude, the Dudism uh, oh, certificate? That's the only you one have I've that ever on had. The wall? Oh yeah, framed and up. I'm very proud of that. Well, see, that's 2011 impressive. is when I was ordained. Um, I in the context of of um, of the prospect of buying a house with my lady friend and with a kind of still a lot of confusion about what exactly one does with a degree and thinking, Oh, well we're going to have this house and she's going to have, uh, all these degrees on the wall. And I'm not really thinking clearly at this point, like where is she going to have those? I don't know. Some shared office we have. No, if we were actually buying a house together, we would not share an office. 
Um, and what am like, what, what universe am I living in where anybody thinks about this stuff? But I was, you know, I was thinking about all of her, um, her different degrees. And then I was thinking about like, well, you know, I got like Seattle weekly gave me a certificate for best tweet of 2011. I could put that up there. Um, I'm sure I got a, I'm sure I got a, um, a certificate for being King Neptune. Uh, that'll look good up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, I mean, a, these are, these are things you're proud of, right? These mm, are things that a, represent joy well, in your life. Sort of. I mean, not, not proud exactly, but like conscious of, uh-huh. um, and, um, and I've got, uh, some certificates of like, you've been a member of the, recording academy for 10 years thank you or you were on the board of governors of something here's a certificate but all these certificates are, they're just like participation certificates you know they're like white ribbons and um and i think that's when i got that that's when i got that that frame which is a green frame i should mention that the diploma frame is a green frame um because you know i wanted it to I wanted it to have a nice frame. Right. If it was going to, if it was going to sit up on the wall of like I, the living room, I don't know. You put it in the bathroom. Like Jason Finn has the presidents of the USA had like multi platinum records from all those countries where to get a platinum record means that you sold 25,000 copies. You know, like they were a big enough international band that, they have like platinum records from New Zealand and stuff. And I don't know how many records you have to sell to get a platinum record from New Zealand, but they only have like 50 people. Yeah. It's not that many. Yeah. Half of the people in New Zealand, you know, couldn't fit in a McDonald's, but they're, it's, it's pretty great. You know, anytime you get a platinum record anywhere, it's pretty great. And Jason does that thing where for a long time, he just had them stacked up in his basement (laughs) Uh, where I was like, yeah, I don't know where to put all these platinum records. Yeah. <laughs> Just use them as, as plates or something. Yeah, you know, here's some pizza. Put it on this. But I think a lot of the people I know that have that kind of stuff that's like successful stuff, they don't know where to put it. Like uh, John Flansburg's Grammy Awards are are nicely in his living room, but not like they're just sort of on a shelf. You know, Amy Mann's Grammys are on a shelf. They're not, you know, they're not like, there's no spotlight on them. They're just, but they're, but they're not hidden away either. I think Jason's platinum records are all in his downstairs bathroom. You know, it's how do you, how do you show off your reward and and be proud of it without, have you ever seen that picture of Barbara Streisand where she's got all of her awards? I mean, think of the awards that Barbara Streisand has received oscars and grammys every kind of award you get i would imagine she's yeah and she's got she's got them in like plenitude we would like to say thank you very much to away you've heard of away you've heard of the perfect luggage right that's right the perfect luggage this company was started by two friends from new york they were stranded at jfk and they had dead cell phones they had delayed flights and then they came up with an idea luggage with power and this is how the away carry-on was born and basically they have made 
the most awesome carry-on luggage. If you ever see me in the airport, this is probably what I'm pulling around behind me. But it has it because it has everything. It has the four wheels, this four spinner wheels. I'll tell you what. The first time that you have, if you don't have like a carry-on or a suitcase with the spinner wheels on it, and, and you're pulling this thing behind you while you're trying to balance everything, and somebody walks past you, and they're standing upright, and their arms are upright, and right next to them, they have an upright, and you can pull it behind you if you want, but they're going to have to, and here, so here's the thing, you're always queuing up in lines. When you have a carry-on that has these four spinner wheels, you can just move it around with you. You don't need to pull it behind. Trust me, just that one thing is enough to make one of these things, one of these suitcases like worth it. These 360 degree spinner wheels. But they have more than that. They're made out of uh, German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. And it's super lightweight. You know that feeling when you, when you pick your suitcase up and you're like, this thing's heavy and I don't even have anything in it yet. These are super light. They have a TSA-approved combo lock built into the top, so you don't have to have a separate lock. You don't have to worry about it, worry about what happened to it. They've got removable, washable laundry bag that keeps the dirty clothes separate from your clean clothes, which is really great. And here's the coolest thing. Both sizes of their carry-on, because they are lots of different sizes, both sizes can charge all cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything that's powered by a USB cable. And a single charge of the away carry-on, it will charge your iPhone five times. Lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they will fix it for life. A hundred-day trial. This is another cool thing. They want you to get this thing and travel with it and try it out. And if you don't like it, if at any point in the hundred days you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. And free shipping on any way order within the lower 48 states. The carry-on sizes are compliant with the major U.S. airlines, so you can pack a ton of stuff in there. And now they even have a retail store in New York City. So go check this out, and they're giving a special deal for the listeners, $20 off a suitcase at awaytravel.com slash roadwork. You've got to go there to support the show. And if this is at all interesting to you, as it should be, awaytravel.com slash roadwork, and the promo code to use is roadwork. Use that during checkout, one word. And you get $20 off a suitcase. So again, thanks very much to away, awaytravel.com slash roadwork, promo code roadwork. We appreciate your support. Is it the one I'm look? I just Googled to see if I could find it. Is it the one in with her in the red dress? I don't know. I, I do not know it well enough to remember the dress. Well, it's, it's but, show, I'm going to, I'm going to send. Is she sitting in a chair surrounded by 1,000 Grammy Awards? Uh, by a lot of awards. I'm sending it to you in your messages, and you tell me if that's the right one, because maybe I'll okay. use it as a cover art for the show if you, okay. if you can confirm it. I, I, imagine, I imagine it is the, it is the same. It's going to come it's gonna come On to your phone, where? your phone or your, oh, wherever you phone. use messages. I see. All right. But I feel yeah. like there's a lot of awards there. there are a lot of awards. It's Babs. She's, oh, yep, that's her in yeah. a red dress. That's the one. Uh, you know, she's very popular. She's got uh, some, what are those? She's got M- Emmys and Grammys. Yeah. And an, there's definitely, a, a, I think. There's an I Oscar see, or I two. See two Oscars. Yeah, two. And, yeah. Emmys, Grammys. And is she an EGOT? Are there Tonys in there somewhere? I don't know if I would recognize a Tony Award. I'm going to have to look up what a Tony Award looks like. 
because I don't even know what it. Okay, that is looks like a Tony Award. It looks like a coin suspended. Mm. Um, it's a coin suspended. You know, in in like a. I I don't know what you you know how the you know how the Russian flag has like the sickle with the hammer in it. Mm-hmm. If you replace the se- the hammer with like a coin, that's what a Tony uh-huh. Award looks like. Uh-huh. Well, let's see here. It, I don't see Barbara, one. Only twelve people have egotted competitively, and it says uh, Barbara Streisand and Liza Minnelli are among people who are egots with one honorary award. So that is, I don't know whether you consider that a true EGOT or not. Um, uh, Elton John just needs an Emmy. He's got a, uh, he's, see if he's I got, got if got. I got that close, that's all, you do I would is just, that's all I'd be Emmy, doing. Right? Yes. I know. How hard is it? You'd be like, put me in every TV show until uh, somebody em- gives me an Emmy. Everyone gets an Emmy eventually. If you're in TV, like it's easy. That's the easiest one to get. Seems like it. Seems like it, right? Al Pacino also. Mm. Uh, also, he just needs a Grammy. Pacino just needs a Grammy. Also easy he's, to get. He's got an eat. E-A-T, eat. Um, but yeah, so so uh, Streisand. Dude, you, could, you could go and get a Tony right now if you wanted it. Oh, you know what's so so infuriating? Trey Parker and Matt Stone have a egged. They have an Emmy. They have Emmy, Emmys, Grammy, and Tony. Tony, but no but Academy. Never got an, they never got an Oscar, even though well, that's the hard one to get. That's the hardest one to get. It is, but South Park uncut that movie absolutely should have won an Oscar for best song. That Blame Canada song. If that, the, no, the hold on. That if is, you get, if the song gets an Oscar. But the thing is, they wrote the song. They wrote the song, so they would have gotten it, even if the movie didn't get it. Yeah. Okay. Man, it's like, or what? Are you sure Brian they wrote Boitano the song? Did. They didn't, they, no one contributed? No one else helped? Those guys write. All right, that's fine. I'm just, just confirming it. I'm 100% sure that they write every single thing. Okay. Because they're bananas. But that seemed, that's an example of like, they're not EGOTs only because they were robbed, mm-hmm. like robbed. <laughs> I remember when that Oscars went by and I was just like, oh, robbed. Because that, that movie was a, was a true delight. But so now I've got this thing, right? Oh, 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 oh. And I, I'm sure you saw, but, you know, I wrote a song with Amy Mann and, it, and her record won a Grammy and my song was on it. But, you don't get a Grammy award just because you like co-wrote a song on a record that won a Grammy award. And, but I was just down in LA and Amy, I had a little party when I was down there, just sort of like a, I'm in LA. Hey, let's all have a party in my hotel. And Amy came and she brought the foam packaging that her Grammy award came in. And she gave me the foam, which looks like, a negative space Grammy award. And it's like the nicest award I've ever received. That's cool. And and that now is sitting on my mantle for sure in the place that a Grammy award would go. But I feel like if I did win a Grammy, I wouldn't put it in the center of my mantle. I'd move it over to the side. Kind of like, 
you know, you don't want to, if you've only got one award, if you're Barbara Streisand, you got a whole office full of awards, like put them anywhere you want. The Grammy is a cool, you should have a, you don't have a Grammy yet. Come on. There's that based on a number of records sold. I mean, it's a popularity contest like anything. Well, you should win that. I wasn't even nominated. Nobody I know. I know someone that has multiple Grammy awards. Well, yeah, I do too now. But, uh, you know, a lot of very, very um, talented people have never won a Grammy award. And arguably a lot of people that are not very talented have won Grammy awards. Same goes for all those awards. The Grammy Awards cool looking too. It's the old uh, old record player. I went to an Emmy Award party one time, like an Emmys party with John Hodgman, and um, and walking around the party. It was it was uh, hosted by HBO in L.A. Walking around the party after the ceremony, and all these people kind of walking around with their Emmys in their hands. Just like schlubs, normals mm-hmm. in tuxedos who were writers or who did something, who did something and they won an Emmy. Because if you're one of 25 people on the writing staff of a show and that show wins an Emmy for writing, I think everybody gets an Emmy. If you write a great song on an album that only has 10 songs, you don't get a Grammy. But if you like, if you're like one of the people that brings papers in and out of a room on the writing team of a, of a dumb sitcom, sure. You get Emmys all day. It says here that South park won Emmys one, two, three, four, five years, five years. They won Emmys. That's five different Emmys for those guys. Outstanding animated program. You know, there, I, I know a couple of people and Amy Mann is one who have won Grammys for best packaging. And I feel like they're the long winter's first two records absolutely should have been nominated for best packaging. We might not have won, but it's a, it's a grave oversight that they weren't nominated. Those were nice packages. But so here I am, Dan, I feel like part, part of me wants to just put one of those letters. I wrote my mom when I was 23 up in a frame yeah, I like that idea. Maybe put, maybe put some of the tweets that I got <laughs> over the last two weeks uh-huh. from people saying, "You asked me to tweet you, and here I am tweeting you." I feel like if I just printed all of those out on one big piece of paper, it would be a kind of, it would feel like an award. It would. I don't know what you'd call it. Scammy award. Shammy Award? 